wow, listening to the lyrics of that song, you know, telling the whole story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And in just a couple of weeks, we're going to get to celebrate Easter together. And I hope your spirit, your heart is ready. And I don't know about you, but Easter is the one time of the year, along with Christmas, when it's easy to invite someone, okay? Uh, Everybody's looking for a church to go to, and I know a good one. So Lord, as we bow before you, as we conclude this part of our singing time and open our hearts to the rest of our worship, we pray that you would not only bless us, but make us a blessing to somebody else. And as we think about the next three weeks in a row and the people that we love that need to know you more and love you better, I pray that you give us the courage and the grace to reach out. And I pray that you would do that thing that only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit, which is to open them up and get them ready so they will say yes. And Lord, I pray the same thing right now for all of us, each of us that we will open ourselves to the voice of your Holy Spirit and we will say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. Well, the worship team will be back fairly soon and we're gonna sing a couple of songs to close our service to help us express one of the two spiritual pathways we're talking about today, which is celebration and worship. And the other is intellect, study, using our minds to love the Lord. And we are in a series that's talking about eight different spiritual pathways, ways to tend and nurture. Uh, We're using the word curate our soul. Um, I was telling Nancy the other day that I hope we don't focus so much on the pathways that we miss the central purpose. Because the purpose is what's most important, and that is that your soul grows. That your soul is strong and deep and vitally connected to God. Because you have a soul, it's a gift to you from God. It's that, it's that most inner part of you that connects with God, where God meets you and touches and changes you. And if you're like most people I know, um, there's two parts to that. There's the before Jesus part, where God is speaking into your life and drawing you to himself. And you might even be there right now today. And he uses all kinds of things, nature, the the witness of creation, as we spoke about last week, uh, beauty and art, which we got to experience. Um music and the sense of God's presence in the room with his people, reading something stimulating, challenging, that challenges your mind. God speaks to us through those things and draws us to himself to the point where at some point when we know we need him most, we yield our lives to him. You know, we invite him to be our leader and our forgiver. And usually that happens, uh, you know, through an honest, sincere prayer. It says, Lord, I need you. I love you. I want to love you back. I thank you that you love me. And if that hasn't happened for you, then that's the, that's the first step to having a curated soul, a soul that loves the Lord. But once you have 
entered into a relationship with Christ by faith, asked him to forgive you, asked him to lead you, then the question is, now what? How do you deepen that connection? How do you uh, feed your soul and invite God to feed your soul? And if you're like most people I know, you're, basically there's two or three things you do. You know, you come to church. That's good for your soul. Uh, you read your Bible and pray uh, to do it every day, 20 minutes, a half hour. That's a really good thing for your soul. But I also know that a lot of people get, along that journey get stuck somewhere. Or, or find that more challenging than it sounds. And the truth of the matter is that God has blessed us with a number of different ways to, to stir our souls and deepen our faith and to help us connect with God. And I, I don't know about you, but it took me like 20 years of Christ following to figure out that it was legal to pray and walk at the same time or pray and draw at the same time or talk to my friends about what I was reading in the scriptures. And, you know, it wasn't how I was taught to do it. It was this one way and it was that way. And, you know, if it wasn't working for you, you try harder, right? And I'm saying, okay, those are very, that's a very good advice. We need to come to, to church regularly. We need to read our Bible and pray. But when we get stuck and when we need more and when our spirit is um, struggling, there are things God has given us pathways the Lord has provided for us that connect with who we are, how he wired us up. We're all unique. One size does not fit all. And so over the course of these five Sundays, it's my, it's my passionate prayer that you find something to help you go to the next place with God. And maybe it was the, the teaching last week about using creation to expand your soul, to get out there and pray and look at the stars and look at the trees and uh, look at the snow. <laughs> Anybody look at the snow this week? You know, the Bible says that uh, he wipes, washes our sins whiter than snow, right? Um, the people, I, I love the fact that some people really got into the artwork. <laughs> I saw some of the stuff you guys drew and posted online and uh, there, was, there were those of us who painted and, and colored within the lines <laughs> and those who made their own lines. The truly artistic, you know, and uh, God can speak to you and, and in, enlarge your, your soul and your spirit through that. Today I want to talk about the intellect. Uh, we start with the fact that your soul needs a curator, needs someone to tend it, and that would be you. Your soul is the coolest, deepest, most essential, sacred, eternal, life-directing, fragile, indestructible, spectacular, and valuable dimension of your life. Jesus said it was worth more than the world. Who would be such a fool as to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? So we need to pay attention to it. We need to curate it. We need to feed it. And among the ways that people have fed their souls across the centuries through scripture and through church history, one of them is the intellectual pathway. To read, to study, to think, and to allow God to meet us in that part of our souls. We've talked quite a bit in the last few months about Mark chapter 12, verse 30, where Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
soul, mind, and strength. And the version, the message translation says, it's coming, there it is. Jesus said, the first thing importance is, listen Israel, the Lord your God is one. So would you read the rest out loud? So love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. I love that. With all your intelligence and energy. Now, I believe when we studied this scripture before, you know that it's from the Older Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, the Shema, the Lord our God is one. In every Jewish synagogue around the world, the service starts with that verse. Remember, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and Deuteronomy says, and strength. It does not include the word mind. Jesus added the word mind. And, you know, I've been studying the background on that. I'm thinking, well, why? You know, what, is there like a scholarly explanation? And, and the sense is that when the scripture was originally given to us, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength, the purpose was simply to say, with everything with all that you are, with every part of you. And if anybody has a right to add a word to Scripture, it would be Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is always the right answer in church, right? So Jesus added the word mind. He emphasized the fact that we can love God with our mind or with our intelligence, as uh, Dr. Peterson translates that. And if you love the Lord with your mind and your intelligence, you are part of a long line of Christian thinkers, brilliant men and women who have studied and written and challenged us to think big, to think God's thoughts. Men and people like Augustine, Calvin, Erasmus, Aquinas, uh, Wesley, the father of the Methodist movement of which we're a part, they not only kept up with scholarship in their day, they advanced it. Uh, Wesley was a brilliant theologian educated at Oxford who encouraged his followers to learn and read and feed their minds, especially with the scriptures. The Old Testament book of Proverbs repeatedly recommends learning, understanding, deepening our thoughts. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. You know, one of the things about all these spiritual pathways is some of them may be especially powerful in your life, but all of them are good. In fact, in my experience, you should try them all because there are aspects of each one of them that can touch and encourage you, and especially this one. But there will be those that particularly connect with you because of how God's wired you and because of your temperament and personality and spiritual gifts. For those who uh, you know, begin to think about the things of God, who, who enjoy the study of the Scripture, or who know you need the study of the scripture, try the intellectual pathway. It looks like disciplining our lives so we have time to read, time and energy <laughs> to read and understand God's word. To read 
broadly in Scripture and to read deeply in Scripture. To study portions, sections of the Bible so that we more deeply understand them and read other books by brilliant Christians who help us understand the Scripture. And of course, it always begins with making the time to read our Bibles. Just a few minutes ago, up on the screen was a slide that encouraged us to try YouVersion. YouVersion is a Bible app for your smartphone. You can access it on your computer. I do on both. Bible.com doesn't get any simpler than that. And it has dozens and dozens of suggested Bible reading plans, including reading the Bible in a year, or reading a particular passage or section of the scriptures. And along with it, there are helps. It'll click on the right thing. It'll read the Bible out loud to you. And yes, that's legal. Okay? It will read the Bible out loud to you during your commute or whatever, and you can encounter the scriptures as they encounter you. I was thinking about those particular authors that have helped me to love God more with my mind. And I brought just a couple of examples, and in a minute, I'm going to let you listen to a, thank you, hon, to a clip from one of them. Of this little book, Paul Little's Know What You Believe is kind of a classic, first written in 1970, updated several times. I think the latest, this edition, is from uh, 2007, something like that. Um, he, he gives one chapter on each of the Christian basics. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the church. Uh, it's fairly simple, but it's quite profound. Paul Little was a great Christian thinker and has challenged a lot of Christians. Then I, was, uh, then I thought about Ravi. Ravi Zacharias. Uh, I, I don't just like him because he lived in Canada part of his life. But uh, actually I met him way back early on in his ministry. Originally from India. Now living in, I think, Southern California. Isn't that where you live if you've written a few books and you get a chance to move around, right? So... Uh, his website is RZIM, or as we Canadians like to say, RZIM. Uh, RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Uh, he has like whole hour talks on uh, this book is called Can Man Live Without God? And uh, he's brilliant and he challenges us to think. A classic along this line is this one, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, written in 1952 and still alive today, you have to get through his British syntax. It's like reading somebody with an accent, right? But he's brilliant, and uh, in a few minutes you're going to hear uh, Timothy Keller. That's this author, pastor of a church in Manhattan that's thriving and growing, and he, his ministry is particularly open to scholars and students who attend his church by the hundreds, and he's written a couple of books recently. This is his latest, Making Sense of God. You need to read your Bible. You need to read people who can help you understand your Bible. And if you have an, a, a, a bent toward the intellectual pathway, you need to let God speak into your thinking, intellect, mind. So. We're going to watch a little bit of Tim Keller. He explains why he wrote this book. And his audience, the people in the room with him, are not believers in Christ. They are reporters. It's a Google uh, session, sort of like a TED Talk. 
And uh, there's about four minutes of Tim Keller. Let's watch. There's a whole lot of emotional problems, but then there's the rational problems, and I'll just simply mention them. There's the problem, by the way, of uh, existence itself. There are really good arguments that say it's difficult to understand if there is no God, how, why there's something rather than nothing. If you want to ask me about that, we can go into it, but it's one of the, it's one of the problems you have if you don't believe in God. Another problem you have if you don't believe in God is the problem of moral obligation. If you don't believe in God, no trouble um, accounting for moral feelings. Like, you have moral feelings, right? Everybody in this room has some things you feel, this is, I feel this is right, I feel this is wrong. And if you don't believe in God, no problem explaining it. It could be evolution, that's why we have those feelings, or it could be your culture has taught you those things, or it could be an existential choice of yours, whatever. But if there is no God, it's hard to see how there could be moral obligation. See, a moral feeling says, I feel this is wrong. A moral obligation is to say, you must stop doing that whether you feel it's wrong or not. See, how can you say to another person, even though you feel it's okay, it's wrong, and you ought to, obligation, stop doing it. See, why should your feeling trump that person's feeling? Well, the only way to say that is to say there's a higher law, there's something outside, there's a moral source outside of both of us, and we all have to honor that, but what could that be if there's no God? You know, Martin Luther King Jr., in his famous letter to Birmingham Jail, put it like this. He said, if there's no higher divine law, if there's no God, no higher divine law, there would be no way to tell if a particular human law was unjust or not. Because it would just be my feelings versus your feelings. Big problem. Lastly, the beauty, the beauty that we find within it, um, Christianity has a beauty to it. I mean, there's, there, first of all, there's the idea that God, the Christian idea of God is that God is not an individual, but God is a, a trinity of three persons who've known and loved each other from all eternity. And you all know, if you're ever even into a, into a, a, you know, if you're into a love relationship, that's when you're really the happiest. So if you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, according to the Christian teaching, having perfect love relationships for all eternity, they were utterly happy, totally happy, you might say. Why would you create a world filled with other personal beings if you're already perf perfectly happy? And the answer is to share your happiness with them. There's no other good reason. You already have everything. Why would he? So the Christian idea is that God actually created us to share his happiness and love. Then secondly, the, the Christian story is that we turned away from him. And that's the reason why things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. Christianity has a, has a, a story of what happened to the universe that explains both the ruin and the glory of the human race. Any, any story that just looks at human beings as, as trash or any story that looks at human beings as basically good and does not recognize the good and the evil in them doesn't really account for how things are. It doesn't lead you to expect what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, that's good stuff. That'll help you think in ways that challenge and grow your soul. And so I just want to encourage you to check out Timothy Keller, he has a great website. His messages are available online. And lean, lean in, right? Think God's thoughts after him. 
read your Bible, study your Bible, and apply your Bible to everyday life. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. I love that. Prepare your minds for action. Now, in every one of these spiritual pathways, uh, there's the, the good part of it and there is the potential danger in it. Uh, last week we talked about creation, you know, the, the beauty and the, the wonder of, of the creation. Now, the danger is that we would just love the creation and miss the creator, right? We fall in love with the trees and the grass and the sky, but we miss God. Or the danger in the artistic is that we just become in, in love with the art, but miss the artist. The danger in the intellectual world is that we, uh, three things mentioned in the Bible, that we love controversy, that because we think so much about the things of God, it turns into a kind of mental argument and we become an argumentative Christian. Or we love ideas rather than doing John Wesley said, Beware not to be swallowed up in books. An ounce of love is worth a pound of knowledge. He was a smart guy, right? An ounce of love is worth a pound of knowledge. So the same is true with our, with our next pathway, the one we're going to conclude this service with, which is the pathway of worship and celebration. There are those who worship the worship, for whom coming to church is all about how I feel and whether I got emotionally uh, excited during the service and that made it good, or if I didn't, that made it bad. God is bigger than our emotions. It's important to think about God and learn about God and just discipline ourselves to be with God no matter how we feel. But it's a good thing when we feel His presence, when we feel our emotions stirred and touched by the experience of worshiping him. The, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55, you will go out with celebration and you will be brought back in with peace. Even the mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Uh, I think when it was so windy a week or so ago, the trees were clapping. Anybody? The trees were cloud. They were falling. Some of them were falling, but um, it's just beautiful imagery that if, if you're wired up to be a worshiper, a celebrator of the presence of God, there's something about um, singing and, and expressing and enjoying and even clapping that touches your soul. Um, I remember, well, I think one of the things that has, God has used in my life was those moments along my journey when I was in a worship gathering and when God really touched my soul. Uh, through someone's encouragement or teaching or even just their example as a worshiper. I love our worship team. And one of the things I've learned along the journey of leading worship is that the people who are on the platform are not only worship leaders, they're lead worshipers. And we watch them as they worship God and we're challenged and inspired by that. So I'm in a Promise Keepers gathering. I think it was one of my very first times there. And Dr. Joseph Garlington, uh, bishop of an African-American church in Philadelphia, challenges all of the men in the room. He said, what have you done with your hands to uh, bless God lately? 
And we're all like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure there's been anything. He said, well, I guess what? I know you've done something with your hands this week that you're probably not proud of. We all have. And he said, so the Bible says that when you clap your hands to the Lord, you actually have a chance to do something that blesses the heart of God with your two hands. So maybe you should try it. Well, you know, I've never been the same. I have never been the same. I tried it and I said, you know, of all the things I get to do in any given week, I get to bless God with my hands. And then, you know, as God stirs and moves in your life, you, you learn that God is worthy of our highest and greatest praise. You see uh, Nancy and I often raising our hands or responding to the music. You know that that was not how I was raised. I was raised to worship God from my neck up right? Anything from my neck down was out of bounds. Uh, I come from a long line of uh, free Methodist preachers. My uncle, uh, the evangelist Wilbur Teal, um, he, he would sit on the platform when the congregation was singing, and if it was really, really good, and if he was really into it, he would tap his toe, right? And he would be like, whoa, he's getting blessed. Uh, so that's my tradition. That's my experience. And and so I've been on a journey with God, and I don't want to, you know, force my journey on anybody else. It's not an imposition, it's an invitation. It's never an imposition that says, You've, you must worship as I worship. It's an invitation to say, there is something that happens when we engage our body, our hands, ourselves in worship. Scripture explains it over and over. I love the passage. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. It's a familiar verse. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. The message translates it this way. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix your eyes on God and soon you'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He is my God. There's something mood-altering, spirit-changing, life-transforming about choosing to worship. The Bible calls it the sacrifice of praise. You ever heard that? Why is it the sacrifice of praise? Because sometimes you don't feel like it. If, if you felt like it, it wouldn't be a sacrifice. It'd be like, woohoo, let's all do this. This is fun. But when you're not feeling it, when you're down in the dumps... When you're feeling the blues and you say, I choose to worship God, not because I want to impress anyone else or get into the music. It's not about any of that. It is about the God who is worthy of our praise. There is no God like our God. Have you ever clapped for like a really good uh, musician? You heard somebody sing or play and you were like, I just want to applaud. Anybody? You go to a ball game. <laughs> we, were, we were out in the lobby the other day watching March Madness. There were like five guys and we had three TVs out there, right? And the, the Michigan fans, Michigan won their game at the last second. And uh, there was some stuff going on. There were people jumping and shouting and clapping. And I was like, you know, that, that was really good. <laughs> but uh, I know somebody who's even more worthy of my praise <laughs> than the Wolverines. Anybody else? <laughs> Just to be fair, even more worthy than the Spartans. Anybody else? Yeah. All right? <laughs> he is our God, and we get to worship Him. We get to worship Him. 
I get to use everything I am and everything I have to tell God that I love him back. That I never want to get over him. I never want to get used to him. I never want to forget all that he has done for me. So the worship team is going to come and I am going to invite you to join me in the discipline of celebration. In the Older Testament, there are several places where God's people are ordered and commanded to praise the Lord. They're told to take their tithe and go out and buy food and buy wine and have a party in honor of God. (laughs) I'm like, really? Really, we're commanded to worship and celebrate? Why? Because celebration gets you through the hard things. Worship gets you past the disappointing things. Has anybody ever let you down? You ever been disappointed by another Christian? You ever been frustrated by stuff that happens? And if you don't, discipline your heart and mind to get past that stuff and look above that stuff, it'll drag you down. Why so downcast on my soul? Because I'm looking in all the wrong places. Put your hope in God. Why so discouraged? Why so frustrated? Why so distracted? Because you're looking in the wrong thing. You're looking in the wrong place. You're looking to the wrong people. There is one true God who made you, who loves you, who is a good, good father, who is your perfect father. And he deserves your worship and your love. There is one savior of the world and his name is Jesus. And he loves you so much that though he is seated at the right, seated at the right hand of the father in heaven, he still bears the scars of his sacrifice. And he deserves our highest praise and there is one Holy Spirit he is the Spirit of Jesus Christ and he is alive and he is with us and he teaches us the things of God and he stirs within us the love of God and the praise of God and he is with us today so let's stand Lord God we are blessed to be able to worship with all that we are all that you are We see you high and lifted up today. We choose to place our eyes on you. We choose to let you lift our spirit, expand our souls, encourage our faith. Meet us now in these moments as we sing back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.